Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Julie. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And hey, you made it. You made it through daylight savings time, through snow, through parking restrictions. Um, And I'm just so thankful that you're here. I am always just so encouraged um, when we can gather together and be uh, here together to worship God. When you go out into our weeks, it's so easy to feel like man, does anyone care about this? And so it's just encouraging. Thank you for um, encouraging me. I hope it encourages you to just be able to worship together and see people um, coming together to worship Jesus. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to jump in. We're going to continue this uh, series on what is sin. So uh, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and for this chance to worship you. Uh, We know that Not everyone in in every place has the privilege to be able to do this freely, and so we just thank you for the opportunity to be here. Um, I thank you for all these people uh, who are willing to brave the snow and uh, less sleep to worship you. So Lord, would you be present with us as we are here together? Um, Would you speak to us? Would you uh, speak to each and every person, to what they've been going through, whatever they're bringing with them? into this morning. Lord, would you meet them, whether it's through worship or through the message or uh, just through a conversation with someone after service. We just pray that your spirit would be moving and that we would be open to it. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Joel and I recently had someone come out and look at the sewer pipe in our house. Uh, Super fun, exciting thing about home ownership, but we, a company had sent out like a, hey, we'll do a free inspection, and we know that our house, uh, the previous owners, had some issues with the sewer pipe. We've also seen what can happen when you don't take care of that, because our neighbors had an issue with it last summer and had their whole yard torn up to get to fix it. And so we thought, yeah, sure, we should maybe know what, what it looks like down there. And so a guy came out, And what he did is he sticks this long tube thing with a camera on the end down the sewer pipe. I know, the image you want to see first thing in the morning. Um, And he stuck it through this connection in our basement, and it went through, down under our house, through our yard, and all the way out to the street. I think he said it was like 70 feet of, you know, sewer pipe. And so he showed us all of the different places where there were cracks or, you know, different things going on. And one of the things he pointed out is how these pipes can corrode over time because of the uh, things that go through them. And so he talked about how they can rust if you have like cast iron pipes. We had a a wide variety of different types of pipe uh, going through our sewer system. Um, But these cast iron pipes, they can rust and they can corrode. And then over time that can cause cracks or leaks, which is really not something you want. Uh, in your basement or in your yard. And so why am I sharing all this with you? Why am I making you look at this gross picture? Uh, It's because in the sermon series this morning, we've been talking about sin. And today I want to talk about how sin can be like the corrosion that we can see uh, in these types of pipes. I want to talk about the corrosive effects of sin and ultimately the results that that corrosion can have Uh, in our world, in our personal lives, and in our communities. And honestly, looking at these sewer pipe pictures kind of gives me the same feeling when I think about the corrosive effects of sin that it can have on us and in our lives. 
So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, if you were here with us last week, uh, Joel talked about sin as an idea of vandalism of God's peace or his shalom. So God created the world. He created it whole and uh, had order, and yet it was vandalized by sin. And when I think of vandalism, I think of it as like a, a single act. Uh, Joel gave examples of people vandalizing Airbnbs that people were staying in, um, and those were some crazy stories. It happened as a single time uh, in a single place, kind of was like an event that happened and then was done. And so I think that's true about sin, and then I want to talk today about kind of the effects that linger on after that vandalism. How does sin have like the consequences um, or the effects that can come from it? Because although the acts of sin might happen in a specific place, in a specific time, we'll talk about how the effects and the consequences just kind of continue on. And I'm sure there's probably things in your life that you can think of, either sin that you've done or a sin that's been done to you, where you've noticed that even though the action or the thing has done, those effects kind of continue on or linger in your life. And those consequences, they affect the natural world. They affect our communities, the people who gather. And they also affect us as individuals. So those are kind of the three things I want to talk about this morning. So what is sin? Sin is corrosive. It's a corrosive agent that eats away at us and the world that we live in. So I want to start by talking about how it eats away at the world that we live in. We're going to start the big picture. Now, all sin is ultimately against God. All sin is ultimately saying, I want to do things my way. Uh, I, instead of trusting the creator who created the world and created us, it's essentially trying to be God, to play God. Wanting to be the one in control, wanting to be the one in power over the world around us. And while all sin is ultimately against God, the consequences of our sin not only affect God, but they even affect our natural world. Romans 8 talks about this as uh, a book in the New Testament, and it says, Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of the one who subjected it but in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. So in the same way that God created all of creation, he bound and separated, he created order and peace out of the chaos, sin puts all of that creation, us included, the world included, into what this passage calls slavery to decay. The world itself, the natural creation that we live in, is also enslaved to sin. And the results of that can be really corrosive. So we see that sin's corrosiveness eats away even at the world that we live in. As Romans 8 says, it's decaying. And we see this in our natural worlds. We see creation doing things that harms itself and harms other people, things like hurricanes or earthquakes or other types of natural disasters. And that's not even getting into the ways that we harm creation, things you can think of a lot of ways that humanity has uh, done things that have encouraged that decay to happen in the world. And then Romans 8 points out that it's not the fault of the creation, but the fault of the humans who subjected creation to sin. 
It says, creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, it was the choice of the one who subjected it. And as you kind of, you know, we started in Genesis, and as you move kind of throughout the story uh, of Scripture, you see a lot of different examples of this, and I just want to highlight a couple of them. So, again, starting with creation, last week Joel talked about how uh, almost immediately after God creates this beautiful, ordered, peaceful, whole world, Adam and Eve sin and break everything. And part of the consequence of their sin is that the ground itself is cursed. So Genesis 3 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. So creation wasn't created to be difficult to take care of. It was created whole. It was created in this um, shalom that Joel talked about last week. But because of sin, we experience things like thorns and thistles. These are the, the consequences of sin even affect the world itself. So if you're a gardener, um, when you're gardening this summer and you're pulling weeds for the 10,000th time, at least that's how it feels for me, and I'm honestly not even great at keeping up with the weeds in my garden, you can blame sin. It was never supposed to be that way. Creation was meant to be uh, full and whole and peaceful and ordered. But because of sin, creation is subjected to the corrosive effects, the corrosive consequences that echo throughout our experience here on earth. So that's kind of the beginning. If you fast forward just a few chapters in the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, you get to see in chapter 6 how the consequences of all these sins really start to add up. And it continues to eat away at the very fabric of the world so badly to the point where the world starts to unravel. Instead of creation being something that's created, it actually starts to decreate. And this is in the story of Noah's Ark and the Flood. So it's a story that we, you know, I'm still not entirely sure why we make so many children's toys of Noah's Ark, because it's really a very tragic story. Um, And it starts in Genesis 6. uh, God says, in Genesis 6, chapters 5 through 8, he says, The Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth, and that every idea their minds thought up was completely evil. The Lord regretted making human beings on the earth, and he was heartbroken. So the Lord said, I will wipe off the land, the human race that I've created, from human beings to livestock, to the crawling things, to the birds in the sky, because I regret that I ever made them. But as for Noah, the Lord approved of him. So as the story goes on, we see that uh, Noah is called to sort of make this ark and bring all the animals, you know, kind of the, the classic children's version of the story. Um, but the thing that's really tragic about it is that as the, because of the consequence of all of this sin, right, it says that all of creation was thoroughly evil. Every single thought they had was evil. That there is this, uh, this big consequence that comes out of that that is the flood. So we see this consequence, the corrosive effects of sin on the world. 
And right, and when we talked about the creation story, we talked about how everything was ordered. Everything was put in its place. The, the water above was separated from the water below, so we get the sky and we get the, the water, the ocean, the seas, all of those types of things. And then we get this separation between the water and the land, so we have this beautiful uh, order that's there. And then he, he binds the, the land animals to the land and the water animals to the water. It's just this beautiful creation, all ordered, everything in the right place. And then when the flood starts, when you read the, the story of it, you can actually see it's sort of walking back everything that happened in the creation story. When the flood starts, the water above, the sky, uh, comes crashing down into the water below. There's no more vault holding that space that God created. And then the water starts to flood over the dry land. So instead of having that separation between water and land, now it's there's coming all together again. And then things like the vegetation, the animals, and ultimately all the people are washed away as this, really the way you read it, it's an unraveling of everything that was done in creation. Everything that God entrusted to Adam and Eve when he said, I am going to give you all of these things and you are going to steward them and rule over them, all of those things get wiped away. And really here is where we see that the effects of sin were so corrosive on the whole earth that it starts to actually deform. It causes this decreation to happen. And now seeing all of this, thinking about the consequences of sin on the world, and even reading that passage I read where God is saying, I'm going to wipe away everything that I created, it raises the question, how much of this is just like natural consequence of sin? You know, we talk about sometimes with kids, like, oh, we're going to let them have that natural consequence of the thing that they're choosing, as long as it's not something that's going to really hurt them. Sometimes, you know, you're like, okay, you want to do that? That's not going to work out, but, you know, I'll let you try it. So how much of it is just natural consequence, and how much of it is God and judgment for sin? And really, this is a very big question that I'm not going to be able to answer. It probably deserves its entire uh, separate sermon, but I do think that it's worth talking about a little bit. And ultimately, I think those two things, kind of this idea of natural consequence and the idea of, you know, judgment for sin, are probably not as separate as we maybe try to make them. So I just want to give you a few different uh, angles to think about things from. So we do see that God has a role in this. He says he's going to wipe off the land, all that he created. But he also says he's heartbroken by the sin that he sees in people. So here, are just a, you know, I'm just going to give you two things to think about or consider as you kind of wrestle with that question. And I encourage you to continue wrestling with it. Like Joel said, we've got spaces for that if you're looking for um, a deeper conversation on something like this. But the first angle is just that God is holy and he is just. So he can't tolerate sin. He's basically like allergic to it. And he cares deeply about justice. And so when you read that everyone was evil and that they were all doing evil things, you better believe that they were probably hurting the other people around them. Things like murder, rape, stealing, all the things in our modern world that we have kind of a justice system to kind of uh, deal with, all of those things were probably happening, and more, honestly. If every single thought that every person had was evil, I don't even want to know some of the things that they could have come up with. And because God cares about justice, 
He can't just watch all of that evil happen and do nothing about it. And as we talked about earlier, all sin is ultimately against God, and so he has to do something about it. But when he responds to this sin, he doesn't respond in vengeance the way that we might if someone sinned against us. Because if we're being honest, when we're hurt by someone, oftentimes our first instinct is that we want them to feel pain too. Right? That's why when someone says something mean to you, your first reaction is like, I want to say something mean back. Right? I want to like have, deal my own justice out. I want to have vengeance in this way. And I was thinking about this, uh, this is kind of a silly example, but uh, I remember when I was in high school and someone, one of my friends would get like broken up with or hurt by somebody, uh, we would often just like sit around and talk about like, how are we going to get back at them, right? You come up with these like silly plans of like revenge. Um, If you are a millennial like me and watched a lot of the rom-coms from the early 2000s, there were plenty of examples to choose from. We were very partial to uh, the movie What Happens in Vegas. They have a very long, drawn-out revenge plan. Um, Did we ever do any of these things? Absolutely not. But we love to sit around and just, you know, talk about it. And that's not who God is for several reasons. One, because God is not a petty teenager. Uh, He's hurt and grieved by our sin, but he's not just sitting around dreaming up ways of how he can get back at all of these sinners. And the second reason is that God is not just anybody. This isn't just sinning against a random person. God is a public figure. You can kind of think of him like a well-respected judge or something like that. He's not concerned with revenge. He's concerned with justice. Okay, here's a second angle to think about all of this from. Much of God's justice or his wrath comes in the form of allowing us to get what we want. Some scholars look at the flood story and they see it as God withdrawing his protective presence from the earth uh, as a consequence of sin. So, you know, he creates the separation between the waters and this idea that he sort of withdraws that separation And again, much like a parent might say, if you want to do that, that's okay, but you're probably, you know, if you want to go play outside in the rain, you're probably going to be wet, and then you're going to have wet clothes and then be upset about it, right? So this is kind of that idea of like, okay, if this is what you want, then I guess I'm going to allow you to have it. And we actually see it talked about this way in other places of Scripture as well. In the book of Job, uh, it says, sorry, uh, will you keep to the old path that the wicked have trod? They were carried off before their time, their foundations washed away by the flood. They said to God, leave us alone, what can the Almighty do to us? So even in Job, the people sort of characterize the flood as this act of saying, like, we don't want you, God. We want to do things our way. Uh, and honestly, I think a lot of times God's response to that when it's, it's heartbreaking to him but is to say, like, okay, if that's what you want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you have that. In a lot of ways, I think that's what his judgment can look like. So much of this is just sin running its course and corroding the world. And how much of it is just judgment from God, um, which is also kind of a natural consequence of sin. Ultimately, we don't really know. We can't say like, oh, I, I, can, I can pinpoint that this event, that happened because of this other sin over here. Right? We don't, we're not God. We don't get to make those calls. <laughs> and honestly, he doesn't re- always reveal those things to us. And I think that's okay. 
But what we do see is that sin even affects the natural world that we live in. It leads to it being cursed. It leads to it being undone, to be deformed, decreated. It's corrosive, and it can eat away even at the very fabric of our world. All right, kind of narrowing it down a little bit, let's talk about how sin uh, eats away at our communities, how it's corrosive to our communities. And again, ultimately, all sin is against God, but it does have effects on the people around you. When we only think of sin as something that happens between us and God, like our own private little relationship, we can end up in a place where we start to think, well, if my sin doesn't hurt anybody, and if I am okay with it, then it's probably fine, right? Like, take, for example, if I stretch the truth a little bit to make myself look better on a resume or, you know, say I have an experience that I don't really have, but I'm still going to do my job well and I'm still going to figure it out, then it's probably fine, right? It doesn't really matter all that much. And there's tons of examples of things that I think we do that we think it's not hurting anybody, so it's probably fine. But when we think of sin as a corrosive agent that eats away at the very fabric of our world, including our communities, then we have to change our thinking. The as long as I'm not hurting anybody idea becomes a little more complicated. And I think part of this stems from the fact that we view ourselves and the people around us in a very different way than the people of the Bible uh, would have viewed them. We live in a very individualistic society. Uh, We live in a way that says, I want to live my life the way I want to live it, in my own home, with my own family, and nobody can tell me what to do. But the world of the Hebrew Bible, and the world of many cultures today even, is much more communal, which means every part of the community is interconnected to the rest. And so for the people in the Old and New Testament, everyone was connected, and so what impacted one person impacted the whole. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians uh, when he's writing to a, a church in Corinth, and there's a very specific instance of sin that's going on. Basically, there's someone in the church who's sleeping with his stepmom, uh, and everyone around him is sort of like, well, if he's not hurting anybody, which... That's a whole other issue. But Paul says, uh, no, it actually matters. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, he says, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? So he uses this analogy of bread making. And the word that's there is actually not yeast, but leaven. So it's a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. So I can understand why they changed the word because that's kind of a, feels very repetitive. Um, but if, it actually helps, I think, to know that. So if you were on the sourdough train during COVID, if you learned how to make sourdough bread, or maybe you're like, you know, I've been baking sourdough this whole time, so I'm like way ahead of the curve. But if you have ever done that or tried to, um, you know that you have the sourdough starter, and it's basically essentially part of, it's kind of like its own bread dough. And so when you add the starter to the other flour and water mixture that you're using, it's sort of like you're adding uh, one piece of, you know, bread dough to another piece of bread dough. And that one part ends up affecting the whole. So when you add your sourdough starter, it sort of acts like yeast would uh, and makes the dough rise. If you can actually make sourdough. Well, I tried making gluten-free sourdough and it never really rose. It's very, very uh, uneventful. 
Um, so the idea here is that one person's actions can impact the rest of the community. And when it comes to sin, it can impact the community in a lot of different ways. There are the normal, easy-to-spot type of things where someone does something that hurts another person. You can easily see how their sin impacts another person in the community. But even the sins that seem like, oh, this is just between me and God. Um, you know, it's not going to hurt anybody. Nobody else really needs to know about it. They have an effect on the rest of the community. And that's largely because we become like the people that we spend a lot of time around. For better or for worse, this is why I always tell people when they're considering getting married, I'm like, okay, make sure this is someone that you feel really like, yes, I would want to be more like them because you will be. <laughs> After you are married, that is what will happen. And so when you see someone in the community committing sin, even if it's small, it can slowly start to make you think, oh, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal if I do that too. Or maybe it's not even that like conscious, maybe it's more subconscious. And you just start to pick up the habits and the way people think and the things that they do uh, of the people who are around you. Or maybe your sin has led you to be more apathetic and now you're no longer, no longer encouraging and challenging the other people in your community. So even disengagement or your own apathy towards God can impact the other people around you because we need each other to encourage and challenge one another to follow Jesus. And we're all connected. We can't get away from that, no matter how hard we try. Our sin will impact other people. And maybe that scares you. <laughs> maybe you're like, no, I don't want to hurt the people around me. Like, I, I, you know, that really is an uncomfortable thought to me. First of all, I'm glad you care. That's great. That's a great first step, that you care about the other people around you and that you don't want your sin to impact them. Second of all, if your sin is impacting other people around you in your community, then that means that you're actually close enough where your actions and, and who you are and how you're following Jesus is going to impact other people. And that's super encouraging to me. Because like I said, we live in this really individualistic world and it's even especially I've talked to a lot of people who have said, you know, after the pandemic, it's just really hard for me to like shift my life in a way that I'm around people more often. Whether it's because it's tiring or because you just got used to it or whatever it is, it's really hard to live in community, in close enough community where your sin is going to impact other people. And I want us to be that close. I'm not saying I want you to sin against other people, but I want us to be close enough that we feel the effects of each other uh, in, in our community. And I don't want us to stay in a place where we just keep on sinning, but I want us to be close enough that we can encourage one another and challenge one another to change. We can help each other grow uh, if we are close enough to notice each other's sin. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 3, it says... See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Or I think there you could even say, by sin's corrosiveness. It can eat away at our communities, but we have an opportunity to change that. If we are in close community, our sin will impact one another but we can use that as a way to grow. 
We can encourage one another and challenge one another daily so that none of us are affected by sin's corrosiveness. Okay, so lastly, let's talk about sin's effects on ourselves. So Joel's going to expand on this more next week when he talks about how sin can sort of negatively form us into a certain image, not the image of Christ, spoiler. Um, But I want to narrow in on that corrosive effect that it can have on us. Because ultimately, over time, sin's corrosiveness eats away at our relationship with God. Sin is saying, I want to be in control. I want to decide what is right and what is wrong. I want to decide how the world should be ordered. And I essentially want to be God. And because of that, when you are wanting to be God, wanting to take on all of his roles, then why would you want to worship him? If you think about it, you can't take all of God's roles as creator, sustainer, author of how things should be and still want to worship him. Why would you? We worship him because he's different from us, because he's greater than us, because he's worthy of worship. And when we sin, we say, I think I'm the one who's worthy of worship. I think my desires are the ones that are worthy of worship, not God. And so again, usually it might be subconsciously, but over time, that corrodes our relationship with him. It leads us further and further away from worshiping God. Paul talks about this in Romans 6. Um, You might notice in the series we're going to the book of Romans a lot. And uh, if you want to, I would encourage you to go and read that book on your own during this series because it does talk a lot about sin. There's a lot of different angles and different ways it discusses it. So I encourage you, it's a great companion to kind of what we've been talking about. But in Romans 6, he says... Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So you see here that everyone has to, um, they use the language obey. You can maybe think of like serve or worship something. It's just how we're wired. We're always going to be gravitating towards serving or worshiping something. And Paul here talks about how that enslaves us to sin. Basically, he's saying you have to worship something. Everyone does, even non-religious people. Uh, and we serve, when we serve some idea or some person or, our, or even our own self-interest, he says that we're serving sin. And ultimately, the effect that we're going to experience, the consequence, the corrosiveness, is death. Because sin is a corrosive agent, and it's just going to keep eating away at everything, even our own souls. So I want to give you an example. It's a bit of a crazy one, uh, but I think it illustrates the point well. So there's this guy that people I've heard referred to him as the like criminal mastermind that nobody knows about. And the only reason I know about it is because someone at Red City several years ago, served on the jury trial, like, somewhat related to this case. It's, like, totally crazy. Um, And she was telling me this story, and so I went and then listened to um, a podcast that really kind of unpacked this guy's whole story, and it's wild. So this guy, his name is Paul LaRue. Like I said, he's kind of known as a criminal mastermind, Um, and he started out just as a tech guy. This is a long time ago, and he, you know, 
wanted to have some recognition for his work. So he created something that he thought was really cool, uh, and he put it out online, kind of like open source. Someone else took it, monetized it, whatever, and he was like, well, I didn't get any recognition for that. He was disappointed by it. So it all kind of started there. Normal guy, just doing normal stuff, and then, you know, feeling disappointed by it. So out of this leads him to go find something else to do with his time and with his energy. And he starts this network of online pharmacies where people can get pain meds. Very illegal the way they went about it. Not real. Um, but he was like selling pain meds to tons and tons of people through this online pharmacy that he created. And, I, you know, it could have just stopped there, right? He wanted to create something with his tech knowledge and get recognition for it, maybe make money off of it, whatever it is. So he got that thing that he wanted. He created this online pharmacy. It, you know, had made tons of money. It was very successful. So he got what he wanted. But it didn't stop there. Because sin is corrosive. And it continues to eat away at us. And we can never fully be satisfied by it. So he made all this money, uh, and I think it probably kind of went to his head. So he decided he wanted more. And if you listen to podcasts or whatever about this guy, it's crazy. It ended up in, like, drug dealing. Then it escalated to gold smuggling, which escalated to arms trafficking. Like, it just went way out of control. Uh, and the more he did, then the more he felt he needed to protect himself from what he was doing, so that ended up leading to him to like hire all these hitmen to keep everyone quiet. And then eventually, he didn't trust his hitmen anymore, so then he started killing off his hitmen. So it went from this tech guy who was probably just lonely, wanted recognition in life, wanted to do something with his life, have purpose, have belonging, and it escalated. It just continued to move on and on and on because sin that's what it does. It corrodes us. It leads us to wanting more and more sin and less and less of what we actually need. It's a really crazy story. And the cool thing about it is that uh, the people who first started to unravel his like drug scam thing that was going on were two DEA agents in Minnesota. So I think that they should make like a TV series about this. And then these Minnesotan uh, DEA agents can be like the heroes. That's my, my image for this. Um, but when people talk about this guy, people who know him, they talk about how it doesn't seem like he really had the intention of ending up where he did. They didn't think that he was like a murderer at heart. But this is what happens, because when we get into this, it just continues to eat away at us and continues to give us this desire for more and more and more. I think it's um, Rockefeller who's quoted as saying, like, how much is enough money? And it's like, always just a little bit more, always a little bit more. And as Christians, sin eats away at our relationship with God. The more we lean into sin, the more we allow it in our lives, the more it takes from us. The more distance it puts between us and our relationship with God. Because of guilt or shame or apathy, it just continues to push us away from worshiping the one who actually deserves it. And over time, it makes us less and less sensitive to God's leading to God's spirit. Have you ever noticed that? If you've ever had a time in life where, you know, you know you're doing something that uh, is not worshiping God, it's actually worshiping something else, or you know you're, um, you know, getting further and further away from God, it just becomes 
easier and easier to not want to engage. It becomes easier, and you become less interested in spending time with God. You become less interested in coming to church. You become less interested in being around other Christians. And it's because sin corrodes our relationship with God, and it ultimately leads to death. But here is the good news. I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you in all of the depths of sin corroding our world and our communities and ourselves. Because in the very next verse in chapter 6 of Romans, it says this, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Thanks be to Jesus, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross to take on the effects, all of the corrosiveness of our sin. He died for that, and then he rose again to defeat sin and death once and for all. Because when we believe in him and choose to follow him as our Lord and our Savior, we're no longer slaves to the corrosiveness of sin. We no longer have to live in that and to feel like it's our only option. Now, I want to return briefly to the sewer pipes that I was talking about earlier uh, because I think it kind of connects to kind of how this corrosiveness can play out uh, and how Jesus can be um, a part of changing that. So one of the options that they can do when you have sewer pipes that are corroding is that they can, I don't really understand how this works, <laughs> but they shoot a liner down the sewer pipe and then it like expands and sort of adheres, I think, to the pipe. So you can see the before and after uh, of what that looks like. And this liner, it, it protects the pipe from further damage. It stops the corrosion that's happening. And Jesus, is like a sewer pipeliner. Is that one of the weirder things I've ever compared Jesus to? Absolutely. Uh, but I think it works. Stick with me here. Because when we repent and trust in Jesus, he acts as that liner from further corrosion to our world, to our communities, and to our own souls. Because when he comes in, when we say, I'm not going to continue to follow the sinful desires of my own heart, the things that I want, but I'm going to worship you, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to trust you, he comes in and it makes it so that we are no longer slaves to that sin. He creates this protective liner. And are we still going to sin? Absolutely we are. We are going to continue to have to practice repenting and believing in Jesus so that we can kind of prevent that corrosion from happening. But I think this is a really beautiful part of it because if we just follow the idea of sin being like natural consequence for evil in the world, it almost feels more like karma, where like, oh, what goes around comes around, you get what you deserve. But the idea of karma is really kind of a depressing one. <laughs> it's that the sin just keeps coming back around and you know, for the rest of eternity, you're stuck in this cycle of trying to be better, trying to avoid it, and you know, just continuing to have those effects come. But Jesus steps in and he breaks that cycle. When we repent, we are given the opportunity to stop those effects of corrosion in our own lives, and sometimes even in the lives of others. And the best news is that one day, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to make everything right again. 
There will be no more sin at all. He's going to restore everything to the way it was before sin entered the world. And we won't even need, have a need for sewer pipes at all. We won't need sewer pipeliners. We won't need sewer pipes in general. So that is the hope that we have. We have the option to repent and to turn to Jesus to interrupt that pattern of corrosiveness of sin in our world. And ultimately, we have hope that we know one day he's coming back to fix it all. That job's not on us, but that one day he is going to come back and make everything right. And that's what we get to practice right now when we head into this time of worship and communion. So communion is an opportunity to stop and to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could have those interruptions to the corrosion and sin in our world. And so this morning, I encourage you to, um, to think about that, to take some time to reflect, ask the Spirit uh, where you might need to repent, and then uh, to take communion and to be reminded of the hope and the grace that we have in Jesus. So we're going to head into that time. Um, we, you don't have to be a member at Resurrection City to take communion. We just ask that you're a follower of Jesus. And then while we take communion, uh, the worship team is going to come up and we'll be uh, worshiping through song. There will also be someone in the back uh, to pray. So if you'd like personal prayer, I encourage you to take advantage of that. So I'm going to pray for us all, and then we will head into that time of response. Lord Jesus, uh, we just thank you, that you for your willingness to come and to interrupt this pattern of sin and evil and corrosiveness in our lives and in our world. It can be discouraging to see all of those effects, uh, the negative consequences of sin in our lives and in the lives of people around us, but you give us hope that those things don't have to be the end, that we can repent, we can turn to you, we can experience grace and forgiveness and new life uh, here in this life, and then also we have hope that we will have all of that in the life to come. So we thank you for that, we praise you for that, uh, and I ask that you would be with us as we repent and and confess of our own sin um, and are reminded of your grace through communion. In your name we pray. Amen.